Right now, humankind is on a crash course with Mother Nature, and there's no Planet B. Governments and mass media seem intent on sedating our urgency to act. The Disrupting Disaster podcast series will offer education, insight, interviews, and opportunities to act, and is proudly brought to you by Lush Digital Media. Hello, welcome to episode eight of the Disrupting Disaster podcast series. My name is Charlie Caruso, and unfortunately it's just me today because James Lush wasn't able to join us. Uh, I decided that this episode would be great to just have a sort of a world climate news update so that everyone was aware what's what's going on in the world, not only just climate, but also climate change news. Um, it's fitting to start with the, there's a lot that's gone on, obviously, but the tsunami waves that are continuing to ripple across uh, the Pacific Ocean after a powerful 8.3 earthquake struck Chile on Wednesday. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people in Chile have been asked to evacuate and uh, Japan is still in a serious threat of being hit by a tsunami and this is coming in at the same time where Japan's just recovering from floods last week after unprecedented rainfall and it's resulted in hundreds of bags of radioactive debris from the 2011 Fukushima cleanup and it's been swept into Japan's river systems. Now, this unprecedented rainfall fueled by a tropical storm happened to come onto Japan last week and um, many, many have been affected. Then we've got, you know, the floods that have happened in, in America, in Utah, where authorities have confirmed that at least 15 people have died in flash flooding that swept away vehicles. Unfortunately, quite a lot of children are in that toll. Um, the torrent was reportedly so fast that it was taking concrete pillars and just throwing them down. And many have called the storm in Utah and the rainfall the heaviest in the past 58 years. Still in America, we've got the fires that are blazing in California, uh, which have been called California's most devastating wildfires this year. And it's around the Lake County. And within 24 hours of that fire starting, it, it grew to more than 50,000 acres. And uh, even seasoned firefighters have been stunned by the ferocity of the blaze. So there's been a lot going on with natural disasters. Now, it could be argued, is that just a normal case of events or is this the result of climate change? Um, it's Again, it's, it's debatable, but I think that is we can't talk about climate change news without really talking about what's happening here in the climate. And it does definitely seem like there seems to be more natural disasters happening every year. But not to dwell on all the negativity, even though the tragedies are an important thing to talk about, um, there are some good news this week. Uh, let's start with the fact that Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott is no more. After a very quick leadership change here in Australia that's happened over the last week, many, many Australians are feeling like I feel, which is just total and utter relief that <laughs> that we have someone that has shown a history of being pro-environment and um, has never been a climate change denier, unlike Tony Abbott was. Paul Gilding, an author and corporate uh, advisor, has articulated, I guess, the same feeling that many of us have experienced about it. And he was quoted saying, we will never get in track as a country without genuine bipartisan support. And because of the way that Rudd and Abbott made this left-right issue, it's only really the Liberal Party shifting that can deliver the change that Australia needs. And this was quoted on renewenergy.com.au. 
He went on to say that that's why Turnbull's arrival as a PM is a game changer for Australia's approach, but the impact would be medium to long term rather than sudden policy shifts. And that's really, quite frankly, politically is the reasons. While Abbott had to say he supported action on climate policy, everyone knew that he was faking it. He was saying what he was meant to say, but because at the same time, he was also saying things like coal is good for humanity. And Turnbull actually supports climate action and he's you know, long understood the economic implications of the transition required. And rather than being fearful of those implications, he actually really embraces them, or at least he has done, seeing the inherent opportunity in a transition away from coal and towards technology-driven transformation of the energy system. Now, will his change of direction and, and will the change of leadership actually make a difference? I don't think it will straight away. But I would much prefer Turnbull be at the helm of this country um, than Abbott. That's absolutely for sure. And I think a lot of Australians do feel the same way. Um, I'd also like to note that Turnbull was in California this February test driving um, my dream car, which is the Tesla Model S. Turnbull mentioned in his blog, yes, RPM has a blog, um, that Tesla has gone from employing 500 people to 11,000 in five years a reminder of how innovation drives jobs. So this is what Turnbull was saying. He goes on to, to mention that batteries have the potential to revolutionise the energy market, reducing peaking power requirements, optimising grid utilisation of renewables, and in some cases, enabling customers to go off the grid altogether. So that was courtesy of Mr Turnbull's blog that he has. Which gets me on to another topic, which is electric cars uh, that I wanted to, to discuss. The news is, it's not super new news, but it's worth, I think, worth talking about, is that Apple has decided to join uh, the electric car race with an internal goal of 2020 to be building a car of its own. It's been confirmed recently that Apple has hired a senior engineer from Tesla to support their drive to build a team of experts in automated driving. However, Apple do face a number of roadblocks in automotive manufacturing because a car is a hell of a lot more complex than an iPhone, which would suggest to me that they're likely to be looking to find a partner, someone who brings um, a lot more experience and and skill and um, ability to to their venture. And recent reports have suggested that 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 partner might just be BMW. And while neither company have officially confirmed this yet, it's well documented that Apple has been particularly impressed by BMW's i3 model and their approach to abandon traditional approaches to car making. And I, for one, I've test-drived the i3 and I, would, I was so close to buying it. I really, really, really loved it. But knowing that there was roughly a 20 grand difference between the i3 and the Tesla and knowing the Tesla was just so much... Um, better in terms of uh, range and, and a lot of other things and also the size and just seemed silly for me to make that investment in the i3 in comparison to Tesla because even if I had ordered the i3 because of the demand issues here in Australia it was going to take weeks and weeks and weeks for me to even see it so I love the i3 and I can get why Apple have sort of been really impressed and seen BMW as a really viable um, partner here. And the electric car race is heating up with news that German sports car maker Porsche has unveiled a new concept car that threatens to be a serious rival to the previously untouchable Tesla. A recent motor show in Frankfurt, the Porsche Mission E was unveiled. Mission E is an electric sedan that packs 439 kilowatts of power that sprints from 0 to 100 kilometers in another 3.5 seconds and can drive up to 500 kilometers without needing charging. 
And this is in comparison to Tesla's Model S and its mode of 568 kilowatts of power that can go from 1 to 100 in 2.8 seconds and has a range of 480 kilometres. So they're pretty close, I think, which is an interesting where we're starting to see big players, big car manufacturers coming in and really stepping up the heat to Tesla. I think I can only encourage that competition because it hopefully will translate into the more development into green cars and, and green transportation. More technology news, this time from Australia's Blue Scope Steel, and we have hoped to interview for this podcast very soon. We posted this story on Facebook, but felt it was really worth a mention on the podcast. A small terrace house in the inner Sydney suburb of Glebe is hosting what is to believe to be the world's first building integrated solar system that generates electricity as well as heat. So basically what they've created is a solar panel that is a roof, so that they're one and the same. Australian steel manufacturer Bluescope, with assistance from the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, are developing this new roofing technology um, that has seen an old corrugated steel roof be completely replaced with the first integrated photovoltaic thermal system in Australia. The roofing system is able to generate reliable renewable energy in addition to PV panels, a thermal duct system that cools the air to supplement air conditioning in the homes. Bluescope is trying to reduce system costs through improved PV models and roofing designs, reducing packaging and transport and improved building energy and efficiency and low-cost installation. So it's pretty cool. I, I think that's the future where we're headed and it's an exciting place to really be looking at the new technology that's been created. Other really cool technology news that has uh, come from Europe is called OHO, and that's O-O-H-O. And it's an edible alternative to plastic water bottles made from seaweed. And it's topped the UK round of the EU competition for new, more sustainable products. And we also posted this on, on Facebook. And its new spherical form of packaging is described by its makers as water you can eat because it's biodegradable, hygienic and costs only one pence per unit to make. So it's really, really cheap. It is made chiefly from calcium chloride and seaweed derivative called sodium alginate. And as reported by The Guardian, OHO, or the developers of such, won the joint award with Alchemy Technology, who have created a digital way of dispensing dye for the textile industry. And so clothes are dyed selectively using the product in a similar way that industrial inject printer are, replacing the full immersion process that is used currently, which consumes a vast amount of chemicals, water and heat. So that's pretty cool too. In divestment news, the world's largest PR firm, Elderman, has announced that it's cutting all ties with groups that produce coal or work to counter climate change action. This is pretty huge, right? Elderman is massive. And for them to make this move, that's a pretty exciting development. The Guardian is claiming this is partly, I assume, their victory after a year of criticism by the media outlet for their middle-to-road response to surveys from the Climate Investigation Centre and The Guardian's ongoing prodding questions about whether it would work with groups that challenge climate change. Elderman wrote on their blog that it's time that the firm recognised the reality of climate change and its aspects and the science behind the claim. They were stated saying... We don't accept clients that seek to deny climate change and that the agency's work is to support environmental groups and those working to cut out carbon emissions. It's pretty exciting. We're going to wrap up today's podcast with a story that was definitely our most popular on Facebook and it concerned news that Swedish millionaire Johan Ilicic 
I apologize if I pronounced that wrong, purchased 400,000 acres of the Amazon rainforest from a logging company for $14 million for the sole purpose of its preservation. According to reports, Johan and Frank Field launched the NGO Cool Earth in 2007 with a business model designed to work with indigenous communities in Peru, Ecuador and the DR Congo as well as Papua New Guinea to put local people back in control of the forest. The organisation receives its income through business partnerships, trust funds and individual contributions from over 50,000 sponsors in order to secure specific tracts of endangered rainforest. By offering an alternative to offers of quick cash from loggers, Cool Earth makes sure communities with the most to lose from deforestation actually gain most from its protection. In six years, Cool Earth has built schools, clinics, fish farms and cooperatives that boost the life chances and livelihoods. From an initial target of saving 4,500 acres of rainforest, Cool Earth and its community partners now protect over 330,000 acres. Even more important, as we ask community to engage with their neighbours and work with them, and as a result, Cool Earth protect long-form shields that are a remarkable 3.4 million acres inaccessible to loggers. And that's pretty cool and that's a pretty cool story to, to finish out with for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed this kind of new approach of a disrupting disaster. It's probably not going to be uh, this way all the time. We're just playing around with what people prefer to hear and how they like to hear it. Obviously, it's much better with Mr. Lush here with me, but hopefully that will be the case next week and we will be back with more Disrupting Disaster. You've been listening to Disrupting Disaster, proudly brought to you by Lush Digital Media. This is your journey too. Let's continue this conversation together. Until next week.